Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have been singing of worshipping your Son, Jesus, tonight. And as we look at this passage in front of us, help us to meet the Jesus who was resurrected, who walked by the lakeside, who met the needs of the people there. We thank you, Father, that you can meet our needs tonight. And we pray, Father, that you take these words and use them for your glory. Amen. I don't know what you uh, noticed as you walked into church tonight. Um, Probably not a lot, because, you know, familiarity breeds contempt or something, doesn't it? But if you had looked up along the uh, beam across the back there, you'd have seen that uh, one of the aims of our church is to have multiple congregations. Now, this isn't so that we can have a more successful church or have a bigger club of like-minded people. No, it's one of our aims because we believe that Jesus offers salvation and eternity, and it's within our nature and fulfilment to worship the living God. Now, if this is what we want to offer to the people of Norwich and the world, it's important that we have a thorough, practical understanding of who Jesus is. Now, I don't know if you talk to people at work or in your daily lives concerning Jesus. Do you know what they know about Jesus? Do you know what they believe about Jesus? Come to the uh, Christianity Explored. But in the safety and confines of our church, it's good, isn't it, to take time to get to know who this Jesus really is, what he says about himself, what the Bible says about him, but also to meet him in a personal way. Because when we've met him and we know him, then we'll be far better equipped to share him with others. We read in John's account of Jesus' life, we're in this uh, Gospel of John for these Sunday nights, we read in his account that it was written so that you might believe. Chapter 20, verse 30, says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now what John is stating here is that uh, believing in Jesus leads to life in all its richness. This means that life isn't going to be boring. It's not going to be dull or conformist. No, it's going to be challenging, it's going to be demanding, and it's going to be wonderful. And the passage we have in front of us tonight gives us a balanced picture of this man Jesus. A Jesus who was supernatural, that is, goes beyond the normal human living, and a man of humanity. But let's put this passage into some sort of context. If you'd like to turn in your Bible to chapter uh, 20, which you'll find on 1089, verse 9. We read this. They, that is the disciples, still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Jesus' disciples up to that point still did not understand that Jesus would defeat death and rise again. 
would have a resurrection body that could appear in different places, could walk through walls, could eat food. They didn't understand the implications of rising from the dead, which meant defeating death and the power of salvation. And so we read of Jesus making efforts to show the disciples this band of men who had doubts and who were frightened what it actually meant. And we see this in various ways. We see this through, the, through when he appears to the women, through appearing to a group of disciples, then to doubting Thomas. And Jesus gives them a greeting of peace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And such is the importance for all to know that Jesus has risen from the dead that we read in verse 29 the importance of belief and faith. And in verse 31, that these events are written so that you may believe. And I really want to stress this point to you this evening. We have a God who died, but a God who came to life again. Christianity is the only religion based upon the belief in a man who died, was killed by others, was dead and buried, but also who defeated death and rose again. And such is the importance of this that the writers of the New Testament provide named witnesses to the events of Jesus' resurrection. They would be able to guarantee that this event had actually happened because they had met Jesus in his resurrection body. So we now come to chapter 21, where we see that Jesus is building upon this. This was written so that we may believe. Now let's have a look at it. Try and get a picture in your mind's eye of what's actually going on here. Andrew, if we could have our first uh, picture. Okay, uh, I'm rightfully told that this is a picture of Galilee. Okay, and uh, Jesus came to the large lake where there was the fishing boat and the coals and the fire and he was a stranger. So what have we got then from this account? Well, my first point is this. We see a return to normality. Now, I don't know what your experience of life has been like, but when we've had a shock, when we've had an upset, perhaps we've lost a loved one, it's often in our nature to return back to normality after a break. So we lose a loved one. We organise the funeral. We put the affairs in order. Then we go back to work. It is as if the discipline of normal living helps us to overcome the grief. Well, we see the same here, don't we, in this account. We see that the fishermen from Galilee returned to what they knew after all the excitement and the danger of that Easter. They returned to fishing, probably because they didn't know what else to do. It might have been because they were hungry. They may well have hoped that it would provide them with some fish which they could sell. Well, we read in verses 1 to 3 that Peter led the way, as he did in so many occasions. But they were not successful. And Jesus turns up on the lakeside and repeats for them the miracle of the fish catching. Now, this was a repeat of the miracle that we read of in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 7. And if you want to uh, have a look at it at a later time, please feel free to. But the question is, of course, why did Jesus actually do this? Why did he do it? 
Well, surely it was to give the the disciples the opportunity to recognize him. Because this is a miracle that he'd already performed for their benefit. In the first time he did it, he showed his authority and power over the natural world. The location of the fish. Well, he does it again. They'd caught nothing. This time, their nets are full again. And Jesus is showing them that he hasn't lost his power or authority, despite the fact that he'd been killed, he'd been laid in a tomb, and he'd been raised from the grave. And so if he was capable of doing this, then he could also have done all that he'd done before. But note the bounty of Jesus here. He didn't just give them, what, 11 fish, enough for one each? No, we read there were 153 large fish. The bounty of God that gives his people far more than they need. Now, John was perhaps one of the more thoughtful disciples, and uh, certainly perhaps more thoughtful than Peter, and he recognised who this man was on the shore. Peter was impetuous, though. And Jesus uses this normality of the fishing activity to show them that he had, in fact, risen from the dead. And he gave them the opportunity to recognize who he was. He worked through their normality. The second point is this, I think. We see something here of the, the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus. This episode is recorded for us so that we can see the supernatural character of Jesus. We can see that he rose from the dead, he appears to people, he walks through walls, he repeats miracles, he talks to people he knows, but he also shows us his humanity because he knows what they're like. We believe, don't we, that uh, Jesus died for our sins and he defeated death by rising again. And this belief, of course, is very important. Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Now, this passage in front of us is one of these occasions where we see Jesus interacting with people after his death. And so he's trying to do this, he's trying to help the people to understand that, in fact, he has risen from the dead. Now, in fact, there are eight accounts in the Gospels and Corinthians where he appears to people. Why? Well, surely to establish beyond doubt that this is the promise that he gave in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, where he spoke to his disciples, where he said that after his death, this would happen. So Jesus is providing a proof to the people that would form the core of the new church in years to come. But he's also being showing his humanity to him. Remember, to go back to what had happened previously, if you remember what had happened to Peter, Peter had denied Jesus four times. He'd let Jesus down when he most needed support. And the other Galilean disciples probably also had guilt feelings too concerning what had happened to Jesus. Well, Jesus reassures them in this meeting with them at this breakfast time 
on the side of the Galilean lake. And we see here, don't we, that Jesus identifies people's needs. He knew of their loneliness. He knew of their need for support and love. He knew of the weaknesses and the doubt of the disciple. And so we read in this account how he uses this form of eating together a common human experience to cement this relationship and to strengthen it. The use of the breakfast is used here to celebrate this coming together of the disciples with their master again. Because eating together is a social event, isn't it? It's what we do. We invite our friends to come round for a meeting. It's something that humanity does. It's a family event, which is why, of course, we have a Saturday morning breakfast once a month where all ages can meet together. The next one is next Saturday at nine o'clock. Do come. Do come to take the opportunity to have social interaction with each other, to meet people who know Jesus. Well, this action, again, points the disciples back to the many times that they'd eaten together. I'm sure that for them, the occasion of the Last Supper must have been a very significant meal and a very recent activity. So here again, we see the human activity used by Jesus to cement this relationship. He's reassuring them. He's saying to them, it's okay. Peace I have given you. Here I am again. And this is going to be really important to them because Jesus has got a huge task for them to do once he had gone. You remember what Jesus said they were to do. They were to go out and make disciples of all mankind. It was going to be a difficult, dangerous work. In fact, many would die sharing Jesus and his gospel message to the world. And so here we see Jesus is strengthening them as a group as they eat that fish together that breakfast time. But we also see that Jesus is using this event to bring Peter back into a positive relationship with him. Now, I don't know what you feel about Peter, I find that Peter is an interesting character in the New Testament. He's one of my favourites. Why? Well, because he's impetuous, isn't he? He's an impetuous man. He's keen. He acts on impulse, often without thinking through his actions. But he is the disciple that Jesus chooses to lead his new church. It's him, of course, who claims that he will never leave Jesus. It's him who took physical action to protect Jesus in the garden. Remember the incident with the sword and cutting the ear off the the soldier. But, of course, it was him who also denied Jesus four times and let him down. And it's after this that we see Peter taking the lead role in taking them out fishing. It's him who, after John identifies Jesus, is prepared to jump out of that boat and swim to the shore in his fishing gear. Such is his anxiety to greet and meet Jesus. Well, next week, we will see how Jesus reinstates Peter. But I think this is a character that has a lot to inspire us. Would be that we would be impetuous for Jesus would be that we are willing to jump into the deep and to swim to meet him. This might mean, of course, that we have to get out of our depth. We might have to take risks. 
we might have to be prepared to show our affection and love for Jesus. Well, Jesus meets the disciples where they're at, through their doubt, their insecurity. He meets them in their need, their feelings of loneliness and danger. And we can meet Jesus wherever we are tonight. We can open up our hearts to him, we can obey him, we can give him our lives, because we know that Jesus will meet us wherever we are to be found, in the norms of our lives, in the times of doubt and despair, of having lost a friend, or not knowing where we're going, because Jesus does. Remember that, Jesus knows where we're at, and he knows where we're going to be. And Jesus wants to come and eat with us, as he did with his friends that morning on the lakeside. But lastly, we see something else about Jesus. We see Jesus displays his supernatural character. Well, we might well ask ourselves, why is this so important that we have Jesus, who is a man with supernatural powers? That is, that powers that go beyond normal human activity. Well, if Jesus is God, as he claimed to be, remember his quote, I must be about my father's business, then if he claims equality with God, he must be the same as God. That is, he must have the power that goes beyond humanity. Remember, God created the universe, and so did Jesus. God is a God of eternity. That is, God who was and is and is to come. Well, likewise, so is Jesus. God knows the beginning, the middle and the end, and so does Jesus. The promises that Jesus made to mankind are recorded uh, in the New Testament depend upon his supernatural powers. Think about those promises just for a minute. There was the promise of returning again to earth. There was the promise of being with us where two or three are gathered in his name. There's the promise of sending his Holy Spirit, the promise of forgiving our sins and taking the punishment for those sins, the promise of going to prepare a place for us in eternity. Well, all those promises can only be kept by a God that has supernatural powers. And so we see in this account of Jesus' time here on earth plenty of examples of the evidence of this power of Jesus. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that Jesus forces a response from us. We see different responses to this in the New Testament. We see and meet people who respond in faith and in belief. We meet people who doubt, like Thomas. And we meet people like the Pharisees who refuse to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, who has supernatural powers. Well, God in his goodness, gives us the freedom to make our own responses to his son. We have the freedom to say, yes, Jesus is the son of God, or no, he isn't. Remember, Jesus promises to be with those people, and we can either accept that or not. We can stand firm in the power of Jesus and firm in the gifts of his Holy Spirit. Remember that God promises to be with us. God promises to be with us. Whatever happens, we have a supernatural Jesus that promises to send his Holy Spirit upon those that trust and follow him. And so, 
What a wonderful way to finish, okay, this relatively short story that we have in front of us. Jesus met with those men that were in doubt, those men that were in fear, those men that had returned back to the normality of their lives. And he reassures them that he is with them. He cares for them. He loves them. He shares with them that breakfast. And so that is what he promises to us. He loves us. He offers us the hope of eternity. Amen.